0: I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Call me Snake. The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes, Billion and simply evil. out of your mind, Wayne. God bless you. What do we
1: do? Hello out there and welcome back to Precinct 13, a podcast about the movies, music, and mind of John Carpenter. My name is Nick Rocco Scalia, one of your two co-hosts, joined as always by your other co-host, Chris Olivant. How's it going, Chris? It's been a minute. Very well, Nick, and I'm glad to be here. I am glad to be here as well. We've got another music episode queued up. We haven't done one of those in a while. And since we were around last, it was like early August, we recorded our last episode. I think about mid-August we released it. There's been all kinds of action happening on the John Carpenter music side of things where we've gotten some interesting new releases, some remix stuff, and uh, a tribute album that we were going to do an episode on a while ago. I I think I teased like a very special episode a long time ago. And then we just didn't have access to the album yet. Yet, but the Way of Darkness, the John Carpenter tribute album, the Way of Darkness is out now, and we're going to talk all about that. It's kind of a little bit more of an esoteric project, maybe not the the most widely known thing in the Carpenter universe. So we <laughs> thought we would maybe uh, bring some attention to it.
0: Yeah, I told you via text. It's uh, it's underground AF apparently, <laughs> um, but uh, it's because it's not on major streaming services like. Bandcamp is about the only place I could find it to digitally uh, stream. But uh, yes, you were right. This is our first musical episode since at the beginning of the year when uh, John Carpenter released The Magnificent Lost Themes Volume 3. Uh, which, if you haven't heard yet, that was his latest musical effort, and it kicks butt. <laughs>
1: yeah, Chris, you, you mentioned that. Like, I always sort of turn the music episodes over to you for the expertise, because that's about as far as my music <laughs> knowledge goes. So, you know, I can talk... It kicks butt! Yeah, like, fairly <laughs> fairly knowledgeably about film, but with music stuff, it's like, does it kick ass or does it not kick ass? Does this rock or does it not rock? I mean, I, I like a lot of different types of music, but I'm just, I'm not a musician, I'm not a producer, a music producer, or anything like that. So uh, I leave the sort of technical side of that to you, as always. And also, you're a collector. So when, when we get something like *The Way of Darkness*, which has a really beautiful vinyl package that's a very limited edition that we'll talk about, um, that's sort of another area of yours that I just—I don't even have a record player. So as cool as it looks, it would kind of do me no good. But a uh, number of things to talk <laughs> about before we get to any of those other ones. I thought we might discuss the track that got released. Uh, About a week or so ago, called Unkillable, which is the first soundtrack cut from Halloween Kills. Which we were just talking about this. We're about six weeks away from the release of that, correct?
0: I don't think in my lifetime there's ever been a movie that was more personally anticipated by myself. Really? Uh, Oh yeah, without question. I've been, um, and part of that is just due to you know all the setbacks with with the film itself. So, and and also because in the last few years, like, I mean, the Halloween franchise has really kind of become my my favorite uh, horror franchise, and I just loved what David Gordon Green did with the 2018 version, and I also love the score to that very, very much, so, yeah, I mean, I want more.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a hotly anticipated movie. We've been talking about it just on the yes. show, I think, almost since the beginning of the show, right? We started recording fall of 2019, and it was on our radar even then, and just everything I've heard about it since, and we've talked about this so many times, is like, the hype is just off the charts for this. I mean, everyone involved with it seems really, really proud of what they did. The fans are clamoring for it, like you said, because of everything that happened last year. It did not get the Halloween theatrical release that it was supposed to, but here we are Halloween 2021 coming up, and we're gonna get Halloween kills. And so this track "Unkillable" is, <laughs> I think, a, a real sign of of what we should expect from that movie. And it's just some really powerful, creepy stuff.
0: Yeah, and I had been boycotting watching the trailer, as you know we've discussed before. And I think in 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 the modern era, uh, trailers seem to be spoiling uh, a lot of movies, in my opinion. And, uh, I was doing so good, man. <laughs> Cause I guess obviously <laughs> it pulls up in every thread, you know, it's like, ah, oh, there's the trailer. And I mean, I did watch that like, you know, 20 second teaser that they put out about a year ago, but I have, I had not seen the official trailer until I went and saw the new Candyman movie. And I, I had that kind of fear. I was like, oh man, there's a good shot. They could play the trailer to Halloween kills. And they did. And, um, I think you would have gotten a kick out of it because I was like watching it halfway and like turning my head at other parts because I didn't want to see. It. it was like so childish. Right. But like, yeah, like that's how much I want this to be like just a fresh, you know, surprise. And yeah, this this track was like I, I there was no way I could go without listening to the track. I'll go without watching the trailer unless forced to. Uh, but the track I had to listen to. And yeah, it's um, it's pretty fantastic.
1: You know, I, I've i done the same thing with trailers, not for this one yet. I, I haven't been out to a theater in, in quite a while, but I remember like when The Force Awakens was coming out and they first started showing trailers for that, I was like, you know what, I'm a Star Wars fan, I know I'm going to want to see this movie. I mean, the way that all went, I, looking back on it now, I probably should have just watched the trailer, because of the new trilogy, that's the only one I liked even a little bit, but... um. <laughs> At the time, I remember going to the movies with my wife a few times, and whatever you were seeing, it was Star Wars, so it was going to play with, you know, any general audience thing, romantic comedies and dramas and thrillers and horror movies, it's, it's Star Wars, it's bigger than life, it's bigger than everything. So I remember a few times in the theater just, like, closing my eyes really tight and covering my ears, trying to do it inconspicuously, but I don't know that you could do that necessarily inconspicuously, and she probably thought I was an idiot, but she's known me for a long time and she knows <laughs> how much I geek out about movies and all kinds of stuff but yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with you I mean I did not want to see a trailer for this I haven't yet if I can avoid it right up until Halloween then I'm going to do that and I don't know maybe I'll be comfortable enough to go to a theater by then if not we have a drive-in like about an hour away from here and that might be a great way to see Halloween Kills also so either way I, I am very excited for it and this track like I said is a great lead-in to it so this is a piece from the original soundtrack it's credited to john carpenter as well as uh, his son cody carpenter and daniel davies that's the the usual crew that's the band that recorded all those lost themes albums and anthology and this is just one of their many soundtrack contributions to this highly anticipated sequel
0: yep and it's very similar to the material that they did for the 2018 soundtrack except um it's got a little bit more, it's a little bit more intense, I guess. I don't, actually, that's not fair to say, because there's some really intense stuff on the 2018 score as well. But, um, you know, they they have their, their sound, like they've mastered their sound together so well. And again, I think they did such a good job of like revitalizing the original score for the 2018 version. Um, I can't watch like, that's one of my biggest beefs with like H2O, for example, you know, is how or some of the other entries even where they just don't even like bother to play the theme in the, in yeah. the movie at all. Uh, what's a, what's a Halloween movie without the sure. Halloween theme, you know? Um, but, yeah, I'm very excited.
1: And, and something like this. I mean, oh, I, I love that original theme so much and it is so quintessential to that. I mean, you really you're right. Like the sequels that don't have it. Uh, not that they were all that good from the get-go but i mean that just sort of gets you in the mood you know the original film uses that very simple sort of synthesizer thing just so very well and you associate that so much with michael myers so um i mean uh, to to do this new trilogy and and not have that would have been i think a travesty even if you had carpenter do the music anyway right but he was doing something completely original i mean this is a a trilogy for the fans and, and david gordon green certainly said that and uh Like all of the filmmakers and all the behind the scenes people involved with this, all the returning actors, they're just big fans of the franchise, and this is definitely one that it's it's not a cash grab, and that's what I liked about the 2018 Halloween, and and the music is kind of really following through on that. You know, it's it's an update, but it's a really heartfelt update. So everything that it's doing here, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not insulting to what the original is, and it doesn't take away from the original. I love. I mean, I've listened to Unkillable a lot. It's like you said, it's incredible incredibly intense. It all just kind of pounds along. It's got this synth piano that just kind of hammers away and these really big drums. And it really does feel like you're being chased by Michael Myers. And I know Michael Myers doesn't run. That's part of the, the series mythology. But there's just something, uh, you know, this this heart racing thing where even if he's just walking after you, you know, you're in a, a very, very bad state. And I think this music really captures that very, very well.
0: Yeah, it was an excellent selection. It's kind of a, uh, it's got those nice like horror like high pitched stingers yep. in there too, and everything that like you just picture that, that you'd imagine in in a slasher movie. And yeah, I mean Carpenter, I mean he'd scored the first three Halloween movies. And then Alan Howarth took over after that and did a pretty good job with uh four, five, and six. But then yeah, after that when you get to like H two O and uh like Resurrection, I don't even remember what what the music was what was like in that one. And <laughs> I then, assume it
1: was a lot of Buster yeah. Rhymes tracks.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then and then of course Rob Zombie, I think, only used the theme like in his first one, briefly. So, I don't know. Yeah, it was like 2018 was the complete reset along with the score, so that's awesome.
1: Yeah, I I like that they're headed back in that direction, and this track really is its good. I mean, there's some really interesting stuff in it. There's, uh, like, the second half of this, it's kind of... A few different movements. I mean, this is a, it feels like a few pieces of the soundtrack kind of stitched together into this track, Unkillable. But later on, there's this organ thing that it does that almost sounds a little bit like Prince of Darkness. Like it's this more epic, supernatural kind of mm-hmm. horror theme that takes the the sort of grittier, more down to earth Halloween theme into a completely new and and bigger direction.
0: Yep. So in, so in addition to the new Unkillable track. Which is uh, available on on
1: all your streaming services, by the way. So that is not uh, an obscure thing. You can check that out on Spotify or wherever. I mean, I guess... I don't know, is, can, can a piece of music spoil a movie? I mean, I think we kind of know what this movie is going to be, so I, I don't mind just <laughs> listening to a few cuts off the soundtrack. Like, I don't like listening to singles off an album I'm really excited about just because I kind of want to hear it purely, but I don't know. I think you could do that with, uh, with a soundtrack piece and not have that sort of experience. But yeah, so that this is just one of several things we're going to get to this week, but a very cool release, something we're, we were happy to see, of course.
0: Yes, and then Nick, why don't you introduce the, uh, the other new release, only because I wasn't aware that you were um, a fan of this particular band that did a recent collaboration with John Carpenter, and I had actually never even heard of them before until really? the song, or these, these, I should say these two songs came out.
1: Oh okay. So uh Churches, the band Churches from Scotland, they did a split single with John Carpenter where they took one of his lost themes tracks and he took one of their tracks from their I believe their their most recent album and they basically remixed each other. And um I like so you're saying you're you're not too familiar with Churches. I I listened to their first two albums a lot. I was I would have considered myself a very big fan of theirs back then. And for whatever reason, you know, I guess I just got busy or something like that. I know they've put out some work since then that I haven't been as familiar with, but it, it all sounds of a piece with itself. They haven't changed their sound a, a lot. And I really like what they do. They're kind of a synth pop rock band. Uh, the, the vocalist Lauren Mayberry is fantastic. She's got a great voice. And they're inspired by, I remember reading an interview a long time ago where they did something with jimmy world they were uh, you know she she cited that band as an influence i'm a big fan of particularly early jimmy world and they do kind of a similar thing to jimmy world where even though their sound is a lot more electronic and a lot more synth based they have that sort of same anthemic quality as the really big jimmy world songs do so I really do like Churches, and it turns out this was the same kind of thing. So they were fans of John Carpenter's work. I mean, I guess being a synth band or a very synth-heavy band, you can't not appreciate the master of cinematic synth. And it turns out that John Carpenter, the cool older guy that he is, he was familiar with and was a big fan of Churches as well. So this was a a collaboration that they both sort of agreed with and uh, and thought it was a good idea. And so what we get is uh, Carpenter's remix of their song Good Girls, which is, I don't know if you've heard the original of it, Chris. I know you're you're going to give us your thoughts on the remix, but the original version of this song, I, I listened to it and it makes me think of like late 80s, early 90s Madonna. Like it's almost that poppy. Like it's a very well-produced song. It's uh, got a little bit of a retro feel to me, but there's certainly nothing creepy or eerie or, or horror-esque about it. And John Carpenter doesn't exactly turn it into a horror song, something that's meant to get under your skin but he does kind of give it a, a little bit of a darker edge and churches is not a band you know despite their name there's nothing particularly spooky or creepy or I mean they're they go dark occasionally, but not dark in the same way as like uh other artists that you would think might collaborate with John Carpenter would be. But yeah, I, I really just sort of like what they did with it here and and he just kind of adds like some atmosphere and some, some additional drama and darkness to this song. He takes something that's very kind of airy and upbeat and uh and makes it just a little bit more contemplative, but also still pretty propulsive and dark and, and very cool sounding.
0: I was caught so off guard by this because I just opened up my Spotify app and like looked up John Carpenter. I was at the gym. I was going to throw on something and just whatever. And this popped up on his page and I'm like, what is this? And of course uh, my initial reaction was perplexing because it's, yeah, I mean, this is by far the most poppy thing that he's ever worked on. I mean, it sounds like It just sounds like a like a popular hit on the radio, Um, but it does absolutely have uh, his touch to it. And I am not embarrassed to say at all that I love this song. It's really catchy. It's it. It will it sticks in your head. I in particular really like the um, the chord changes during the chorus. And uh, it's a short song. It's only about two and a half minutes, I think. But um, very cool that this just dropped out of nowhere.
1: Yeah, sure. The, the pre-chorus on this song is really great, too. I mean, I had, I think I had heard the original before I heard the remix. And um, again, it, it makes me want to get back into churches the way I was back in the day. But yeah, it's a very cool collaboration. Just the idea of a, a, a female vocalist singing on top of John Carpenter's music is a pretty cool <laughs> idea. Not something that I would immediately like I, I just always think of John Carpenter as instrumental. But to have vocals and particularly Lauren Mayberry's vo- vocals is just a, an interesting challenge choice and it works really really well like it's a, almost an opposites attract kind of thing and it just fits i think really nicely so uh the other side of this split collaboration thing that they did was churches took the track turning the bones and kind of put their own spin on that
0: yes turning the bones from lost themes three which i if i recall correctly i think that was one of your uh one of your favorite tracks on the record yes that was uh, one
1: of the ones that came out ahead of time that was one of the advanced singles wasn't it
0: uh, I would have to check. I don't really recall because they did like, they did like half the album before it came out, but, yeah. um, the, yeah. So then they did the exact opposite thing here where churches takes a John Carpenter song, turning the bones and does their own mix of it. And it's also very, very good. I can't really fairly say anything about, I haven't heard uh church's version of good girls, by the way, just for the record. Uh, but I, I absolutely should listen to it. Because at first, I, when I first heard it, I mean, I didn't even know it was a remake of anyone else's song. I just thought, like, it, maybe it was an original, like, they just got together and wrote it together or something. Um, but either way, if, if you're a fan of his music, both of these songs are certainly worth checking out. And just like Unkillable, I mean, you can go right to Spotify and listen to it. You can go to uh, iTunes and listen to them. They are there.
1: You just got me thinking about, like, it is It is so catchy and so poppy, this John Carpenter remake of Good Girls. Like, what if this did catch on, you know? Like, what if this became a very, very popular <laughs> song, and then all these younger audiences, whatever, check out John Carpenter? Like, oh, who's this guy remixing this song? I really like his work, you know? Like uh, like SoundCloud rappers are, if they don't know of him already, they might start checking out John Carpenter. He's, uh, he, he always seems to find ways to make himself relevant to younger and younger generations generations we were talking about this in another conversation but like john carpenter's a video game player you know he he, he, i've heard him talk about like twitch streams and stuff like that so he's definitely not going quietly i know he's uh he's getting older and and you know, oftentimes filmmakers, artists, when they hit that age, they kind of get really wrapped up in their, their own stuff or what they grew up with or what they did during their, their sort of the heyday of their career. But John Carpenter like takes this effort to stay current. And it would be really cool if that paid off with more stuff like this, you know, if he became all of a sudden more mainstream musically than he's ever been before at at this advanced stage in his life.
0: It's, I mean, it's entirely possible. Yeah. He's just like, he's like, (laughs) <laughs> he's like the coolest 73-year-old dude.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's he's definitely <laughs> on the list. <laughs> Certainly one of the coolest that that I know. So, yeah, so those are some things that you can check out pretty easily. And then we need to talk about The Way of Darkness because this is a tribute album. I don't even remember how I first heard about this. Like, I think someone posted about it in one of the, the social media groups about John Carpenter that I saw. And it was billed as a tribute album. And that's what it is. It's uh, Rustblade Records, a label in Italy, who releases a lot of electronic music synth synth stuff, dark wave, um, kind of some retro synth type things. They also have like, a, they've got a couple albums uh, or, or some projects from like Black Sabbath and things like that. Um, but it's it's certainly not a major label and it's not an American label. And so they released this album, which has a number of artists that are part of their stable on it. And they're all putting their own spin on John Carpenter tracks. Uh, the big name, the one that is recognizable, that, that uh, particularly fans of the kind of stuff that we talk about on the show would be familiar with is Claudio Simonetti, who is part of the band Goblin, who did the scores for so many Dario Argento movies. Probably their most famous work is Suspiria. You hear that every Halloween, even if you're not a fan of Suspiria. I love the original Suspiria. Um, But either way, you've definitely heard their soundtrack work from that. They did Deep Red, they did Tenebrae, they did uh, Opera, Sleepless, uh, some of the newer stuff. They also did both of Argento's Masters of Horror episodes, and they also did the Soundtrack for George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. So you've probably heard their work there also. Uh, Demons, that classic Lamberto Bava movie from the 80s about the... zombie demons taking over a movie theater they did the music for that so Claudio Simonetti is uh, credited on two tracks here he gets the bookends of this album he gets the first and the last and Chris we were talking about this before we recorded the show there's so little information on this album like I wanted to go out and like do some really extensive research on it and really give our audience a a picture of where this came from and who all these artists are and there's so little information on this album out there that we're not really going to be able to do that we're just going to kind of give our review of it track by track and tell you what we we did find out you can research some of the artists on this uh, other than Claudio Simonetti who's obviously pretty famous and we just kind of talked about where he comes from but other than that I mean this is a pretty obscure project that I think fans of John Carpenter should definitely definitely check out I'll just put my cards on the table right now and say I, I've enjoyed the hell out of this and I've been listening to it a lot since I first heard it and and, uh, and took notes for the show
0: well it's such a treat to, uh for any fan uh for this to just kind of come out of nowhere I found it just on Amazon uh pre- as a pre-order so naturally I had to secure one and the yeah the album itself is like again I mentioned before you you can go to Bandcamp and if you just look up the way of darkness everything's there as far as your digital download options um you can add to a cart like you know a, a vinyl version a CD version And then uh, there's like a deluxe collector's edition, which naturally I had to get. And I will tell you right now that it was limited to only one hundred and forty nine units. So it's probably sold out at this point. But man, is it a luxurious package? Yeah, I saw
1: Um, the pictures of it that you sent me and it is
0: absolutely beautiful. Oh, yeah. It comes with like a Michael Myers poster. It comes with a fog poster. It comes with a poster for the thing. It comes with a copy of the CD. The vinyl itself, and it's a nice, like, like laminated slip cover, like a glossy laminated slip cover with some really cool artwork on it. Uh, yeah, so for for folks like myself, um, I was really excited to hear this, and I had no freaking clue what it was going to be like. But yes, Nick and I are going to go through and just go by a track by track, like we have before on on the earlier Lost Themes albums, and kind of discuss what it is we're listening to here.
1: Yeah, so uh, this kicks off, as I was saying, with a track by Claudio Simonetti from Goblin, and he gets one of the heavy hitters, right? I mean, when you think of John Carpenter's scores, whichever one is your favorite, as we were talking about before, probably the most memorable, the most uh, widely known one is Halloween, and so he gets to do Halloween. That's the lead-off track on the album, and I gotta tell you, so I I didn't know much about what this was gonna sound like, and this opens up with this very sort of electronic glitchy texture thing that um, I, I wasn't a huge fan of and is like, I hope this isn't going to be the whole album, like just sort of a, a glitch take on John Carpenter. <laughs> but that actually goes away very, very quickly. And then we get that that classic synth riff that that synth melody that that reminds us as we were saying before so much of of Halloween and Michael Myers and already like right from the beginning of this track the the beats start to kick in and they're just really intense and anxious sounding and it's kind of a, a really amped up intense driving version of the Halloween theme
0: yeah I too was very thrown off at the beginning. Uh, and I, and I, I will admit, even though it's brief, I was a little worried there. I think I had that probably that same feeling that you did. Uh, but yeah, once that Halloween theme kind of bleeds in, and then as you said before, I mean, this is this this turns into like a full on band orchestrated version of the Halloween theme. So, yeah, you've got your drums going. You've got like, you know, and it's a full kit. It's like there's like Tom rolls and. Uh, it does have some characteristics that were implemented into the 2018 theme, so we do get the the like that pulsing kick drum and uh, the rapid hi hats. Um, none of those existed on the original version, and um, this works. It's almost uh, it's it's almost too much, but because of all the cool breaks and like. My favorite part of the song is the... I think it really kind of hits its stride when this clean electric guitar riff comes in. And that's also a melody not present on the original. It was just something that they added to this, and it really
1: works. Yeah, there's this is kind of like squealing guitar sound. It's all very horror-esque, you know? It, it sets yeah. the mood for this very well. And then there's some keyboard parts. There's some some synth stuff that kind of like counterpoints Carpenter's melody. Again, I, I'm probably speaking incorrectly about what that actually is, but they're sort of new synth parts that like go up against Carpenter's and, and kind of like match it, but also contrast it a little bit. And, you know, it's, it's a cool addition. I mean, obviously, you know, they both kind of came up around the same time, uh, Goblin and Carpenter as a musician, as a, a film scorer. So, uh, you know, Simonetti's been around for a really long time. And obviously, there's some mutual respect there also. So again, he does kind of put his own spin on this iconic piece of Carpenter music, but it's not just a sort of a straight remix. There's some interesting new composition uh, aspects to it that I think are definitely worth hearing.
0: It's growing on me, and I, I think I like it more as it goes, um, so, but a very um, a very interesting uh, way to begin this album, but also a very appropriate way, as, as we will see. Um, so the next track is Matthew's Ghost Story, which is a piece of music from The Fog and is done by an artist named Leather Strip.
1: Yes, who I actually did find some information on. This is another one of, I guess, the the more well-known... I mean, a lot of these artists certainly uh, are are European listeners, uh, you know, are... are Our listeners across the pond, as it were, might have more familiarity with them than we do. Uh, But this is a Danish electronic industrial producer. And I was just kind of looking over his discography. And it goes back to 1988. So, you know, this is uh, another one of those sort of older artists who's still in the game. And I I know, Chris, you're a huge fan of the Fog score. And this is a a take on it that is almost, I, I mean, I guess industrial would be the best way to describe it. Like it has these these pounding drums, this sort of like really heavy kind of punchy drum sound to it in the second half and it kind of, uh, as much as the fog is a very supernatural it's kind of a traditional ghost story this gives it almost like a futuristic sort of edge and I think a lot of the tracks Mm. on this album do that, right? They kind of take these things that don't necessarily have a a futuristic metallic sci-fi sort of sheen to them and that's one of the, the textures that gets added on to the Carpenter originals here so um also it's still really creepy uh the the fog score is definitely very unsettling and sets the mood for that ghost story very well and this plays up a lot of that atmosphere and a lot of the kind of the droniness of it and stuff like that
0: i love this song this really when when this came on i was like oh man i'm really if this is what we're gonna get for the rest of the record like i'm 100 percent on board uh but you're right it it's, it's totally like a modernized version that that still manages to capture like the whole menacing vibe of the original like most of the songs on here it's slightly more intense than the original version because like the things you mentioned you know aggressive pulsing drums uh, and instead of the piano being the main instrument used here for the melody we do get more synthesized textures and there's a nifty break in here too with some like pitch bending going on and synth strings and we get more cool eerie sound effects and stuff. I mean, it's just a really excellent tribute. Like this track is solid as hell.
1: Yeah, sure. And, uh, and that is followed up by a version of one of my favorite pieces in all of Carpenter's work. And that is the Christine theme, <sighs> done by an yes. artist called simulacrum lab. And I, I don't know much about them because I couldn't find much about them, but they are an Italian, I, I believe it's a duo. It might be one person. I'm not sure. A lot of these are, uh, are either one person or two, um, but they're a synthwave slash retrowave act from uh, Italy. And, you know, when we talk about retrowave, what immediately probably comes to a lot of people's minds, certainly comes to my mind, is Cliff Martinez's Drive soundtrack, one of my favorite mm. movie scores of all time. That kind of like really just pumped up 80s style, neon, um, cyberpunk kind of. Uh, I don't know exactly what else you want to call it, but you know, you know, Kavinsky and uh, and all those songs on the <laughs> Drive soundtrack, if you're familiar with that this is kind of like uh, Drive meets Christine in a lot of ways and I love the way this sounds I mean, this is definitely my uh, up my alley and certainly my kind of music um, I love Carpenter's Melody for this so much, I mean, I think it's, it's like I said, one of my favorite things that he's ever done and it's one of the things that I think sounds best by itself right? Like certain other things, I i kind of want to have the movie there um this is one that i think is actually better it actually transcends the movie that it's in but just the melody for the the christine theme is fantastic and i love this take on it great baseline here oh man
0: oh uh, oh man this one's banging right off the rip this is a completely awesome version it is and i just love too how a lot of these songs are are sort of peppered with these cheesy like 80s drum machine breaks and stuff so it's like yeah in 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 a, in a weird way like this 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 tribute album does such a good job of like modernizing these songs but at the same time they're keeping certain elements of the time in the songs if that makes sense sure Uh, and it's
1: all like very retro futuristic too you know it's got that like 80s sci-fi kind of feel to it that I like so much
0: (laughs) I love in my notes I said is there a flute in there with a question where I thought (laughs) I thought I heard a flute at some point but uh yeah this is superb there's like some really huge just sweeping synths here and there's a nice um there's a nice like lo-fi breakdown towards the end or it just sounds like it's the whole song's being run through this like filter and then it all comes, you know, back full, full blast. Yeah, I mean the 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 one two punch, or I should say the two three punch of uh, Matthew's ghost story and Christine are are pretty excellent.
1: Fantastic. This makes me wanna see, maybe I don't actually wanna see this, but it sort of brought to mind like a a sci-fi sequel to Christine where the evil car is like a Tesla or something like that.
0: Oh, ho, 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 ho. nice. I mean, you know those uh, self-driving
1: cars, they've caused some accidents. They have definitely killed some people, so maybe you yeah. could do it. I don't know. That—that That is the, uh, the Christine sequel that we need. Well, probably that we don't need, but yeah, I, I really like this track a lot. And then we get, to, right after that, the only Lost Themes track that's done here, and that is Night, kind of one of the, the more familiar lost themes tracks kind of one of the, the sure. centerpieces of that whole collection and mm-hmm. I, I don't know anything about this artist i could not find any information on mythical vigilante other than just the fact that it's a pretty cool name for a that is such a
0: cool name dude come on that is a badass name right there <laughs> mythical vigilante if anything what a cool name
1: yeah and uh just kind of add some interesting new textures to this lost themes track and uh and again this one sounds very cyberpunk to me you know it's, it's almost like this tribute album it takes a little of the horror out of some of this stuff and turns it into more of a, a sci-fi thing and i love the synth texture on this one i think is really really cool and kind of creepy sounding also
0: Yes, very nice to get a Carpenter original on here. Uh, as far, oh, I should say a non-cinema score, or non-cinema piece original. Um, I think this one's on the first Lost Themes album. And uh, I put in my notes here, aside from when the drums uh, actually drop in this track, I haven't heard them side by side, but this one sounds really close to the original. Um, I mean, they did change some of the instrumentation, but... It's just tasteful and not overdone, and, you know, it's, it's again, uh, a great use of sort of the 80s, the 80s era electronic drums, uh, again, present here, so, yeah, I mean, Night is not one of my favorite songs on Lost Themes, I mean, I love the song, but... I also remember when we did our, our live perspective, uh, there was a really interesting version of this that they did um, that was so stripped down. It was just like the synth looping that main melody and Daniel Davies just like making noises on the guitar. I thought that was pretty cool. So this is, this is actually the third uh, version of this song that, that I have heard now.
1: And the, the third that we've talked about on the show.
0: Yes. Yep. That is correct. <laughs> a lot of a lot so, of night
1: here on precinct 13. Mi-
0: mythical vigilante. Great job. I'm I'm glad I'm glad this song is is on the album for sure. Yes,
1: on your track and on your choice of names. Um, so that's followed up by Lori's theme from Halloween, done by an artist called Ket Vector. Oh my god. And this is Justin Bennett, who is a producer who actually mastered the album. So, like, oddly enough, I mean, there's so little out there about this album that I'm just looking at a picture of the back of the the CD case and it says Justin Bennett mastered the album so uh, he is also Ket Vector and what what little information I could find about him is he seems to be a, a pretty well-known industrial music producer and has worked with artists like Skinny Puppy and My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult. Like, I remember when that was a much, much bigger thing. I don't know how into it you were, but I think because I was such a big fan back in the day of Pretty Hate Machine, uh, it's, uh, you know, I know that's not maybe the best Nine Inch Nails album, but I think it's the most underrated and underappreciated, and it's the most easy to just sort of listen to front to back, and when I was a kid, I absolutely loved loved it. So I kind of got into industrial music for a while when I was like, you know, a young teenager or whatever. And I remember hearing a lot of Skinny Puppy and uh, and Thrill Kill Cult and all that stuff and uh, KMFDM. And I don't know, you don't hear that so much anymore. But clearly this is somebody who's really familiar with that genre and kind of adds an industrial touch to what I think is kind of an an unsung hero of the Halloween soundtrack right like everyone knows the main theme for Halloween but Laurie's theme is uh, I think just as intense and just as creepy in a lot of ways and this kind of really utilizes that by kind of leaving off the percussion for a while and just starting off really atmospheric and, uh, and just bringing in that great creepy scary melody right away
0: it's, it's its so good. I, I love this. Um, while, I mean, while nothing beats the the just stark, you know, simplicity of the original. Um, I really like this this version of Laurie's theme. Um, just really powerfully developed pacing and creepy as hell textures. There's more. Uh, there's there's some great use of like chimes and bell like tones in here, and then it turns into this like chaotic like I don't even know what to call it really like a drum and bass like like (laughs) drum and bass multi fills with like there's I mean you've got choirs and synths and electronic horns and this whole cacophony really of, yeah, of yeah stuff. It, it gets really
1: um, dissonant by the end and kind of goes off the rails like I, the note that i made is this is a mind fuck and uh, like i yeah. was saying laurie's theme is such a scary piece of music in the first place i mean even it, like nothing on this tribute album is spare at all right like you listen to a lot of john carpenter and there's this kind of um this this like spareness to some of it where he's really good at using the negative space as well and you don't get a lot of negative space on this album you know like everything is filled up with some kind of interesting (laughs) texture or sound or something like that and by the end of this I I mean this is definitely not music that you want to just leave on in in the car when your family's driving around with you or something like that
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah you get in there and just pop in Lori's theme like on your way (laughs) to the grocery store you know um, I also took down in my notes here that it sounds like, like at the end in particular, when all that crazy stuff's going on, it sounds like it's, it sounds almost like a DJ, like, like doing some improvised scratching, like over the foundation of it. I don't know why I wrote that, but it it something made, something made me write that down. Uh, so I actually, I can't wait to hear it again, but, uh, Yeah, this is another very solid entry on this record. If you couldn't tell already... Nick and I are, are a pretty big fan of, of this album overall. Yeah,
1: I really liked everything I heard. Nothing on this sucks and nothing is nothing yeah. comes off as a bad idea. Like, I've heard a lot of remix albums before where it's like a, an artist that I really like and they sort of either take those tracks and either they don't do anything with them. They kind of just like make them basically versions of something that you're very familiar with that, that sounds a lot like the original. So there's really no point on not just listening to the original in that case or they, mm-hmm. they fuck the up and, and kind of deconstruct them to the point where it doesn't sound like the same thing at all. And I think this just strikes a really nice balance between those two things. It, it kind of walks the line very nicely, so it, it pays tribute to Carpenter. And that's what it is, right? A tribute to John Carpenter. But also, it kind of just adds some things that that do make these worth listening to in and of themselves. And speaking of that, one of my other favorite Carpenter pieces comes up next, which is mm. the theme from Assault on Precinct 13, which you know, I was just talking about the spareness right the sort of like that really gritty kind of low budget synth texture of some of his very early work and this is the perfect example of that and so that is done by a synthwave outfit out of Denmark called Code Electro and I don't know too much about them but on their website they mentioned uh, like influence from things like Blade Runner and Tron and Tangerine Dream and that kind of Mm. 80s sci-fi sort of stuff and I love all those sounds I love all those movies. So I was really interested to hear this, and it uh, it it does a great thing by not speeding up the pace of the original, right? Like, if you listen to the Assault and Precinct 13 theme, it's so very slow and deliberate, and it just kind of creeps up on you, and this track does that too. So I'm glad they didn't try to speed it up and amp it up right away.
0: You just reminded me when you mentioned um, Tangerine Dream. I just saw a movie recently. Nick, have you seen uh, Catherine Bigelow's near dark?
1: I never have. It's one of those cult movies that's been on my list for the longest time. And everyone I know who's seen it thinks it's the greatest thing ever.
0: It's really good. And it's scored by Tangerine dream. I love their stuff. Yeah. So I, I love, I have come to love the original assault on precinct 13. Like I just love that movie. And A big part of it is because of the way the music is used uh, in the movie. You can listen to uh, episode number two if you want to hear us talk (laughs) about that movie for nearly two hours. But yeah, this is great placement in the sequence. I mean, this would would be like, you know, track one on side B of the record. Um, I think similar to the version of Night on here, there's a uh, strikingly... Just, just very faithful to the, the the tone and instrumentation of the original, and uh, it's an impressive rebuilding of this like you know more than classic theme. Um, it's funny, like when I think of the movie Assault on Precinct Thirteen, the first thing I think of is just the title sequence at the beginning with the red letters and the black backdrop and this beat just playing, um, and it's so stripped down. It's like, like two. Tom's hi hats and this synth. That's like literally all it is.
1: It kind of sounds like you're in a crappy like grindhouse theater and John Carpenter's just behind a wall somewhere with a keyboard and a drum (laughs) machine just kind of playing it like with you. I don't, know. Yes, I don't know why you yeah. get that sort of feel from it, but it is, it like like I was saying, it it's sneaks up on you, it creeps up on you almost, and listening to this and listening to the original, what, what kind of strikes me about both is it's a really repetitive groove, you know, like, it yeah. doesn't do a lot of new stuff, it just kind of, like, keeps hammering home the same theme, the same snippet of music, and yet it works, it never feels repetitive, you just kind of want to listen to it, it almost, like, gets inside your head, and you don't want it to stop, and, of course, I I mean, we've talked so many times about the iconic scenes in that movie, but every time I hear it, it just brings me back to those gangbangers driving around in the car, like loading yes. their guns, looking for somebody to fuck with. And uh, of course it leads to the ice cream truck scene, but just those driving around sequences that are so creepy and, and in and of themselves, they probably wouldn't be, but with this music laid over them, you know, it's like bright, broad daylight, right? And, and it's just four kind of silly looking dudes in the car with some guns and yet it seems like one of the scariest, most apocalyptic, dystopian things ever put in a movie, thanks, I think, very much to this score.
0: Yep. It's so it just every time I hear this tune, it makes me want to watch the movie. And when we when we discussed the remake, you know, I was like, one of my criticisms of that was why couldn't they have just used that piece of music? So like that would have made me that would have elevated my entire opinion of the movie if they like just used some of the theme music from the original in there. And instead, we just got the, you know, whatever, the guy who scored the Fog remake. And <laughs> Graham Revelle, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, no, this is great. It's always good. I love it. Um, track number seven is The Fog.
1: Yeah, we come back to The Fog. So it gets uh, two entries on this album
0: done by a group called uh or artists i should say i'm not even sure because i didn't look up uh this artist (laughs) motion capture capture with a k it looks like mortal Kombat when i look at it quickly i'm gonna go ahead and say this is is possibly my favorite on the album um it has this like incredible awesome medieval sound uh, sounding intro it's very engaging and uh God, it's so odd, like, they just took that utterly haunting piano melody, and they replaced it with a synth that's like, it may be just my favorite sounding thing on the entire album, like, it's this very wet, thick synth, and it reminded me, it works beautifully here, but it, dude, it, it, it sounds like the kind of synth that you'd hear on, like, a freaking Dr. Dre album from like the early nineties when they did the, when they, a lot of that West coast style, like gangster rap production had those really high pitched, like synthesizers. Like, I feel like this patch is very similar to that. And, uh, it's nice and simple with a few atmospheric textures here and there that are, that are subtle and sort of underneath everything. But, uh, I'm also such a sucker for tracks where the drums don't, like, enter the track until towards the end, and they do so, like, unexpectedly. Uh, I love that. I love when a song is just, you know, it has everything except for a beat to it, and then all of a sudden, like, a beat just drops out of nowhere.
1: Yeah, well, like, what's interesting about this is it, it, it kind of... The synths themselves are the percussion, like they they just sort of like pound away, almost like drums through a lot of this, and so you don't really need it. And then they do come in, so you you get that sort of intensity also. But I love the synth sound on this one also. They're they're like mm. really creepy, but almost kind of like plinking, almost like kind of playful sounding. And uh, I think that just makes mm-hmm. the whole thing even scarier.
0: Yeah, uh, there, there's there's a different synth patch that comes in at a certain point on the main melody that's equally sick, but this is a fantastic tribute. And when this song like I have listened to the fog, I don't know about you, Nick, but I have listened to the fog soundtrack on its own many, many times because it's one of those. And and most, this is true of most of Carpenter's scores, but the fog is such a great record to just put on in the background. If you're like reading or something like that, because a lot of it is just kind of this, like, you know, dark piano organ music and i'm just such that melody is so ingrained in my eardrums that when i heard it done with a synth like this it just really it just really hit me in in the right place
1: yeah it's uh it's definitely an interesting interpretation of this and like you said i mean i guess it depends on what you're reading but there is certainly a a great atmosphere to the whole fog uh like every piece on the fog soundtrack
0: I mean, anything Stephen King, this would be perfect for. Sure. You know? Stuff. (laughs) So I I
1: think the next track was maybe the biggest surprise for me on the album. It's called Chariots of Pumpkins by an artist named Keith McCoy. He actually posted about this on social media. So I got a little bit of uh, at least one artist's perspective on this. But he uh, he builds himself as a prog metal slash horror synth drummer. And he basically said in this post that he put up that he doesn't necessarily do covers, but he loves this soundtrack and he loves this movie so much that he just had to do it. And that movie Movie is Halloween 3. So this is not a Carpenter directed movie, but definitely one that is much beloved by the Carpenter fan community. And the first note I made for this was just Halloween 3 exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Wasn't expecting that. And, uh, and I love what he does with it here.
0: God bless you, Keith McCoy and uh, a, a man of good taste for being a fan of Halloween 3. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm so glad this is here. And I think that Carpenter's work on the Halloween three score is largely overlooked because of the film's polarizing history. And it's something that I'm sure you and I touched on on our Halloween three episode we did last October is how damn good the score is in that movie. Yes. I mean, it's as good as any of the work that Carpenter's ever done before. It's, it's incredible. And, uh, it's a great, this, this track is a great example of just like, effective simplicity like it's it's really not it's really not all that much going on but like many of the other cuts on this record we get those electronic drums that are added to kind of raise the energy and provide a beat and keep it interesting but um I had I knew I had heard this before because I do have the the Halloween 3 score and I've seen the movie a bunch of times but I couldn't quite place it while I was listening to it I was like where have I heard what what song is this and then of course we get just this wonderful ending that I appreciate so much we actually get a sample of the great Tom Atkins Uh, screaming stop it at the top (laughs) of his lungs and that's when I said oh shit this is Halloween 3 yep
1: and we got a little bit of the Silver Shamrock commercial at the end of it that uh, which is always great (laughs) yeah this is a really cool uh, you know this is one of the only tracks on this album that does that but I really like that sort of atmospheric stuff the drum sound on this is unbelievable like a a lot of the like this is such a percussive album it's such a driving and it would be a great soundtrack for a run or a bike ride or a workout or something like that. I haven't tried that yet, but I'm sure it's, it's definitely going to be uh, the soundtrack to some athletic thing that I do at some point because I do feel like I'll be able to run a little faster or whatever with this sort of very driving music yeah. behind me. And the the drum sound on this, this sort of like thwack, this really powerful drum sound and this choppy yeah. synth that it has, it's all just very, I don't know, just just pumped up and, uh, and, and sounds great. Maybe Keith McCoy being a drummer, uh, he has a, an ear for drum sounds and and I really, really like the drum sounds on this. And of course, you know, anything that has a little bit of Tom Atkins action on it, you can't not like that.
0: <laughs> it's just like, so out of all the... Because it's like you look at all the movies out there, right? Like, it's interesting that there's no tribute to, like, uh, They Live or, you know, Big Trouble in Little China. So, some of the other more notable scores that Carpenter has done, but then they, like, they throw, like halloween three on there and it's like okay like i really appreciate that yeah just completely random okay so track nine we have two more cuts here um track nine is the thing which is done by an artist called tibia Is that right? Tibia?
1: Tibia, yeah. So that's a duo. It's uh, Stefano Rosello and David Christian. And I don't know too much about them, but I know Stefano Rosello is credited as the graphic designer for the album package. So that beautiful vinyl set Ah. that you have, that is the guy who's responsible for that. So definitely nice work there. This one's interesting because it's a cover of a cover, right? So this is Ennio Morricone's score, which was then done by John Carpenter on the anthology album and, and in the live retrospective and the the concerts that he was doing. So they are basically covering Carpenter's version of Morricone's original. So how meta is
0: that? Very meta. It's technically a tribute to both Morricone and John Carpenter. Um, Definitely solid as hell. I love that this track has great tension throughout. And I mean, it's another piece of music. that's impossible for me to hear it without just like wanting to watch the movie. I love that opening scene with the the uh dog running through the snow and with the helicopter and the music and the credits and all that stuff. It always did make me wonder though what Morricone's orchestrated version of this sounded like because we never got to hear that. I heard that a lot of the material that Morricone gave to John Carpenter for the thing was like a lot more fully orchestrated and he stripped He stripped it down to more, you know, basically just the synthesizer aspects of it, which I mean, think about it like the the theme to this, the theme to the thing, um, in particular, the version that's used on the movie. I mean, it is so simple. It's like it's basically a synth just going boom, boom. And then, you know, the the, those kind of horns or whatever in the in the the, uh, in the background playing some chords. But. It's super, super stripped down. So anyway, I don't know. I, I just always think I'd, I'd love to hear what the more orchestrated versions of this sound like because a couple of the songs that were on the thing soundtrack were not in the movie, um, which would end up allowing our, our boy Tarantino to use a couple of those cuts on his movie The Hateful Eight which is just a cool story in itself.
1: Yeah, and uh, I think another great movie. Yeah, this is uh, an interesting take on the thing. It's got these kind of like dark synth washes that I like a lot and this great reverberating bass line, which is kind of there in the original too, but it really kind of amplifies that aspect of it. And then later on, there's these really high-pitched synths that kind of cut through everything, and uh, it's just a... Again, another really intense, scary-sounding track to fit what is a, a very intense and scary movie.
0: Yep, and the same as most of the other tracks. We get the uh, drum loop that just drops out of nowhere. That really kind of caught me by surprise, but ultimately in a good way. Yeah, what more can I say other than uh, this song has that same effect on me that like uh, Assault on Precinct 13 does. When I hear it, uh, I just want to watch it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we're we're <laughs> a few months away from thing season here in Connecticut, but I definitely will be as soon as I'm snowing. I don't in. get,
0: yeah, I, I don't get a uh, thing thing season down here. I get, uh, <laughs> I, I I get I get the crawl season. There you go. Sure. <laughs>
1: Um, So the last track, again, we're going back to Claudio Simonetti here. The track is called 1997 and this was another surprise because this is one of the, I guess it's one of the more sort of original cuts on here. So it's the Escape from New York theme, which I love so much. You know, That's another one that like you were just saying, that always makes me want to watch that movie and uh, it's just so, it's such an anthem, you know? It's such a kick-ass, like a theme song for a character and for a movie just reminds me of Snake Plissken just like badassing his way through New York City. And What Simonetti does with this is this really kind of upbeat, almost like samba style reimagining of it. It's got this really, (laughs) really funky beat with like a bunch of cowbell. And like, I'm not a guy who's often compelled to want to dance, but like, I hear this and this makes me want to dance. And so basically, what he does also (laughs) is he takes the opening monologue from that movie that, that explains the situation in New York, done in the original by Jamie Lee Curtis. And there's this almost kind of robotic sounding. British woman doing that uh over this track and i like that addition to it too there's not a lot of words on this album but i thought this was an interesting way of uh of closing it out and doing something with this track that's uh sets itself apart from some of the other stuff here where you get that really neat uh opening monologue there as well
0: i love the 80s guitar on this and like it it this it sounds <laughs> It sounds like a video game. It sounds like a lower, it sounds like an 8-bit like video game version of the track, right? Because like when you listen to the, the the OG Escape from New York theme, it's very like full and very um like fully full instrumentation across the board. In fact, there are times where I listen to that song and go Man, is this like the best theme he's ever done? Like like you said, it's so epic and like heroic sounding and everything. Yeah, and then this version of it just has that really like <laughs> again, I guess I'll just call it lo fi like sounds like a Nintendo game or something. I like mean, that. that's
1: exactly the note I made. I thought the, the like the theme melody particularly, it's almost chiptunes, which is uh, a genre of music that uses the same synth uh as as those Vintage video game systems, and I, I mean it—not that it's not muscular, not that it sounds thin, but it definitely does have that, yeah, like a 16-bit video game kind of feel. Which, again, uh, makes me sad that we never got the Escape from New York video game. Anya, uh, like, I would have loved one back in the 16-bit days. You know, when I was a kid playing Super Nintendo, I would have loved a uh, uh, super violent Snake Pliskin game. <laughs>
0: I said eight bit, and <laughs> that would have been fine so, too. 16... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah it works it's 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 a kind of a weird I think if I heard this song as a single like before the record came out on its own i might have been a little worried about what we were going to get i wouldn't have wanted it but...
1: to all be like this that's a good point right like this is a, a really fun yeah. really creative thing i mean this is the the most like i said danceable funkiest this is the one that you can probably share with just about anybody the rest of it yeah. it's too intense for mixed company or for most uses you know you're not going to just put it on in the background or drive around listening 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 to it, but this one you definitely can. But I I agree. I mean, I wouldn't want a whole album of this, but it's a fun way to close things out on kind of an upbeat
0: note. Well, I'll tell you what, Nick. I don't care what kind of company is at my place. You come to my place, (laughs) this will be playing in the background, (laughs) no matter no matter what. Yeah, this would be fun to just
1: throw on a a mix that you're you're having a barbecue or a party or something, and like amidst a lot of other more familiar things. Like, what, (laughs) what is this? Why is this lady talking about walled off cities and things?
0: yeah <laughs> overall what a treat what a great package and uh just another thing to be excited about as a as a fan of carpenter here in the year of 2021
1: yeah as as we've said before like it's not been a great year overall but it's been a great year to be a carpenter fan and he's got all kinds of projects going on and we're a couple of weeks away from halloween kills and here's some stuff to tide us over
0: so nick what are we going to be covering next
1: so we need to move on in the carpenter filmography even though we're we're running out of things in the immediate carpenter filmography to talk about but we have not talked about his second masters of horror episode yet which is called pro-life from i believe 2007 so that is going to be our next episode we're going to take a look at his second contribution to that showtime anthology series and uh, i have never seen this one chris you haven't either right
0: I have not. I believe it is the only <laughs> piece of work directed by John Carpenter that I have not seen.
1: Well, that's going to um, be a really fun episode for for both of us, then, but especially for you, because I know that you are something of a completist. So now you'll be able to complete your set.
0: I'm just hoping we can find it because I see the the the, the Masters of Horror season one in um, in a lot of places, but season two. Um. <laughs>
1: Chris, are we going to have to go to the dark web for this one?
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's again, I think I just I think for when we did cigarette burns, I think I just downloaded like the whole season of Masters of Horror, which, by the way, I didn't even report on this. But like I watched the first episode because I wanted to like I was like, oh, I have the whole season. So I think I should just I may as well watch it. And uh, yeah, I wasn't that big of a fan. Of whoever and whatever that first one was, I don't know if I just wasn't, I just wasn't feeling it. Was that it. Uh, is this
1: um, incident on and off a mountain road? Yep. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't. I don't I'm trying to think of who directed that. I mean, it was somebody... It's a name. It's definitely a a master of horror, quote unquote, like someone whose films I've definitely seen before. Yeah, it's kind of just more conventional than some of the other ones. But then I think the second episode is Dreams in the Witch House by Stuart Gordon, the late Stuart Gordon, who is one of the great Lovecraft adapters of all time, maybe the great Lovecraft adapter. And it's a really good Lovecraft adaptation. So yeah, Masters of Horror overall was very hit and miss. And so I'm really hoping Carpenter's second episode so you know how I feel about the first one, about cigarette burns, so I'm sure Pro-Life won't live up to that for me, but I hope it's at least somewhere in the, you know, I hope it's not a an embarrassing entry in the Carpenter filmography. I don't think it will be. I've heard good things about it.
0: Yeah, so we got Pro-Life, and then of course we are going to have to cover um, John Carpenter's The Ward, and uh, man, and then pretty soon we'll be into October so we can do more Halloween-related things, but until then... I'm glad that we got to do another episode. Like, this album, The Way of Darkness, like, fully deserved to have its own its own episode.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And if you're a fan of Carpenter's music at all, I definitely suggest checking it out. You can listen to it on Bandcamp. And it's not just a, a collector's vinyl thing. They are selling you can go on Amazon and buy the CD. You can buy it on vinyl if you have a record player unlike me, but I'm sure it sounds great on <laughs> CD too. And uh, and I will suggest and Chris, we've had this conversation about this as well. I mean, this is such a, a cool sounding album. It would be great to have a physical copy of it and play it on the best possible system you can get. You know, So the, yes. the streaming version on Band camp is probably not doing justice to just all the sounds and the textures that are on this so definitely play it on your good speakers and uh and the best version of it that you can get so uh yeah good pair of headphones (laughs) yeah or a good pair of headphones as well um I don't know. I want other people to hear it, too, so I'm putting it on speakers. Anyway, uh, we would love your thoughts on any of this music or any of the interesting stuff to come. We'd love to hear from you just in general. So if you'd like to reach us via email, or at precinct13podcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at 13precinct, Facebook pages, facebook.com slash Three precinct and our website where you can download all of our episodes and find subscription links to the show. If you're not subscribed yet, we'd love to have you as a subscriber. That is precinct13 simplecast.com. And as always, we'd really appreciate a rating or review on Apple Music or wherever you get your podcasts from. So until next time, we definitely won't wait as long as we did this time. Again, summer is a pretty busy time for us, unfortunately, but I think we're out of the woods with all that stuff at the moment, heading into the Halloween season, and uh, we'll be back in two weeks to talk (music) pro-life.